The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. It is time for Break the Business, where we empower indie creators and have some fun along the way. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. I, viewers and listeners, are on proverbial pins and needles as we speak. We are in, as I record this, as we are recording this, uh, it is currently 9.07 Eastern Time on Wednesday, June 7th, and we are in the heat no pun intended. Who am I kidding? Pun definitely intended. We always intend our puns around here in the heat of game three of the NBA finals going on as we speak. I am having a lot of trouble focusing for some reason. I think it's just because maybe Commissioner Adam Silver hates me. He just loves scheduling these really important heat playoff games when we're recording Break the Business. However, I have looked at the schedule. I've looked ahead. We have no more NBA finals games scheduled on nights that we're doing break the business. So we only got one more week or one more show where I have to deal with this madness of thinking about how the Heat are doing while trying to talk to y'all about empowering indie creators. But make no mistake about it, viewers and listeners, I am of one mind right now, and it's on this fantastic show we got going on because joining us is one of our favorite co-hosts. Katie Zaccardi is here. Hi, Katie. Hello. Now, I know you're a big sports person. You always tell me how you can't get enough sports <laughs> and you just are obsessed with it. Like you, you love sports more than music or or consulting with artists or helping empower creators, which I know is a big part of what you do. But what you really love is sports. So I don't know how you're focusing on this show right now. Yeah, I didn't even know the playoffs were happening until you sit right now. <laughs> oh, see now. Now, that's just that's just hurtful to me. I mean, hang on a second. I'm. Um, so I'm getting like, so, so while we're talking, producer Lauren is like waving her hands and gesticulating <laughs> wildly. And I'm like, oh my God, something's going wrong. The stream is down or more. My mic's not on. No, she's just letting me know if the score is tied at the end of the first quarter. You know what? That's okay. I'm fine with that. That's an important update. Thank you. But the way Lauren, you have to understand the way you were gesticulating in the, in the uh, green room there made me think that like something horrific was happening and we needed to stop the show, but uh, no, that's fine. Um, end of the first quarter scores tied. Happy to hear it. We got a fantastic show, Katie, not just because you're here, which always makes shows fantastic, but we got a terrific guest coming up in the next segment. Filmmaker and LA film school professor, Derek Toombs is stopping by. In addition to being a filmmaker, which we love in addition to being a teacher, which of course, you know, goes to both of our hearts because we both are teachers in what we do. He's also a South Floridian, which I very much enjoy, and a former member of the Coast Guard who uh, transitioned from military service into being a filmmaker. Uh, that's a pretty cool origin story. Love to hear more about that from him. So it's going to be a blast. We're going to stick around for that one. Learn a little bit about filmmaking. So uh, I, I know you're stoked for that as well, Katie. Yeah, that sounds exciting. Now, I want to start things off with you, my friend. 
uh, building off a conversation that we had last week, last okay. time we had, or not last week, last time we had you on the show, where uh, you were co-hosting with me when the Ed Sheeran verdict got announced, where Ed yes. Sheeran was found not liable for copyright infringement for his song, Thinking Out Loud. A jury found that it was not a uh, a ripoff of the Marvin Gaye song, Let's Get It On. No damages. There are appeals going on. Hopefully those won't go anywhere, because as we've said before, these kind of lawsuits are bad for creators. They are frivolous <laughs> copyright claims, or at least they should be frivolous. And they tend to get in the way of future creativity because we don't want songwriters constantly being afraid of the thought in the back of their head. Oh, no, is this song that I'm writing going to be uh, am I going to be sued for copyright infringement because it happens to sound like some song that came before? Yeah. And you and I had talked about the question of whether a jury verdict like this will hopefully allow songwriters to create a, so a sigh of relief. Will songwriters go, well. Ed Sheeran didn't get found liable for copyright infringement by a jury, so future songwriters can feel safe. And the point I made, which I still stand by, is what's really going to make songwriters build a sigh of relief is not when the juries say not liable. It's when more judges have the courage to say, we're throwing this case out because it's so ridiculous, we're not even going to let a jury hear it. Because mm -hmm. that's the difference between an inexpensive litigation for a defendant and a very expensive litigation for a defendant. And so we have an update in that regard. We are uh, we actually had a lawsuit that was thrown out in a way that is great for songwriters. And let me tell you a little bit about it. On June 5th, a federal judge dismissed a copyright lawsuit by the band Article Sound System. This is a reggae group that alleged that uh, the international pop star Dua Lipa infringed uh, with her song Levitating, the massive, super crazy mm -hmm. hit Levitating, infringed on their 2017 reggae song, Live Your Life. Now, if you're going into your databanks right now, yeah. thinking hard, what is the article sound system song, Live Your Life? Trust me, you've probably never heard it before. Okay. Uh, it was virtually unknown, did not, wasn't any kind of hit anywhere in the world. And the only similarity between... Dua Lipa's Levitating and this Article Sound System song, Live Your Life, which I believe you can't even get on streaming services. You have to find it on SoundCloud. Is uh is like they kind of have the same Red kind flag. of Yeah. They have like a similar <laughs> melodic groove. Like, you know, the okay. the Dua Lipa song, ba-da, ba-na, ba-na, ba-na. So Article Sound System has a similar kind of groove to it, but no music, no lyrical similarity. You know, nothing else about the song is the same. Nothing else about the melody is the same. And again, Dua Lipa would have never known about this song, right? Because it was super obscure and there's no way like Dua Lipa would have ran into it. And for Dua Lipa, that wound up being the thing that got this thing thrown out. So what happened in this case, and it's it actually similar to what the way that the jury came down in the Ed Sheeran case is under federal copyright law, Katie, before you can even get to the question of whether two songs are similar, right? Before you get to this question of what's called substantial similarity, you have to prove that the defendant had access to your song. Mm -hmm. Because technically under copyright law, if two songs are similar, but the, the defendant never heard the plaintiff's song, then there's no infringement. Technically, if two people on opposite sides of the country like happened to write the exact same song and didn't hear each other's song, then both of them would have a valid copyright and neither infringes on the other. 
Yeah. And so that's that's what that wound up being what saved Dua Lipa in this case and got the case thrown out by a judge because a judge said to the article sound system, folks, you have not even come close to proving that international pop star Dua Lipa came across <laughs> your piddling little reggae song that was somewhere on SoundCloud. And you're going to like this, OK, because obviously when Article Sound System filed their lawsuit, they had to at least present the argument for how Dua Lipa could have found out about this song and thus mm-hmm. in, and thus infringed on their song. And so here's what they argued. Um, all right. So uh, you ever like see those uh, conspiracy theory movies where like the crazy conspiracy theory person's like drawing like, like has like strings. the red yarn connecting yeah. <laughs> things together. This is what this is going to be. OK, here's okay. what article S- sound system alleged, according to the judge's ruling. OK. They said, here's how she got access, because Dua Lipa, one of Dua Lipa's co-writers on the song had previously worked with a woman who allegedly taught guitar. Oh, sorry. Let me, let me start again. One of Dua Lipa's co-writers, because this is so insane. Yeah. One of Dua Lipa's co-writers, not even Dua Lipa, okay. one of Dua Lipa's co-writers previously worked with a woman who was allegedly taught guitar by the brother-in-law of one of the band members of Article Sound System. Okay. So I see Lauren and counting with her fingers. That's like sixth degree what the hell, right? Wait, like say, the, say it one more time. Say it one more all time. All right. Okay. So Dua Lipa wrote this song, right? She wrote it with a co-writer. Uh-huh. That co-writer previously worked with a woman who was allegedly taught guitar by the brother-in-law of one of the band members of Article Sound System. And what through that is tangled web, the allegedly... Allegedly taught guitar. <laughs> so somewhere in there, they're like, all right, we think she taught guitar to him, and that's how it got there. So that was their theory of access. And since that strained credulity, the judge threw the case out, and I think they're going to the judge is going to give the the band another opportunity to file their complaint, because usually with cases like this, you you give the plaintiff a couple opportunities before you dismiss the case with prejudice, which means you can't bring it again. But as hilarious as this is, and it is pretty hilarious, this is the kind of thing we want to see. We want to see more cases where copyright lawsuits get thrown out, not in the jury phase, mm-hmm. but but well before the motion practice, because that, you know, that will that's the kind of thing that sends a message to people who want to file these kind of frivolous copyright claims. Don't bother because you're not going to get very far. And that's the kind of thing that's going to help future creators feel safe and protected in their music and hopefully lead to a situation where insurance companies can lower their rates because they know there's less of a risk of protracted litigation that can be very expensive to cover. So, yay, we like to see this kind of thing. This is the kind of copyright ruling we need, not jury verdicts, because by then it's already gotten too expensive for a songwriter. But crazy, ridiculous, uh, you know, the person who taught guitar to the brother-in-law of the dog kind of access cases Uh, get these things thrown out (laughs) you know it does bring up an interesting question that i'm curious your answer to and it's the whole the immediate association is not actually with dua lipa it's dua lipa's co-writer new (laughs) blah 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 blah. yeah yeah so the question is even though they're suing dua lipa what would happen 
if I wrote a song, let's say I wrote a song with you and mm -hmm. maybe it was by accident. Like you didn't even consciously know you were doing it. You heard a song and then you came into our co-write and you kind of like took elements of that song just because you, you know, it's kind of like in your brain. And we wrote a song together and it sounded like another song, but like, I didn't know that you heard another song and maybe had that song in the back of your head. It's not my fault that this happened. Could I still get sued? Obviously that's, you know, not considering the fact that like, should, should either of us be in trouble? It would depend Understood. on how similar it was, but like, what, like, what would my implication be in there? Because it's like, I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't know. <laughs> I, well, I should mention that Dua Lipa wasn't the only person sued in this case, right? All, all the people, all, all, all the people who wrote, I'm sure the publishing company was sued as well. Um, you know, it, it it's the time honored litigation tactic of sue everything that moves. Anyone yeah. that's within a thousand feet a of, money grab, of that, if you will. If, yeah, you're, you're going to bring <laughs> them into the lawsuit and right. Oftentimes with songwriting sessions, if you have multiple writers on a song, which is usually the way songs are written these days, there's really only, you know, if there is infringement, it's usually only one person's fault. If you can, cause it's, it's the person who had the melody stuck in their head somewhere yeah. that, and then it got into the songwriting session and generally everybody who owns the copyright is going to get sued on it. Right. Yeah. And what you sometimes see in split sheets remember we talked about those paper split sheets mm -hmm. is you might have an indemnification in there that says, if I bring in something that, you know, gets us sued, I agree to cover everybody else's losses. Now, good luck proving that. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, so generally <laughs> like everybody's on the hook, which is all the more reason why these kind of claims are really crummy yeah. and are going to get, cause now like you're not just afraid of something getting stuck in your head that you accidentally bring into a songwriting session. You're afraid of one of your co-writers doing it and it's not yeah. even your fault. Yeah. And so now you're being very careful about who you co-write with and you're starting to see artists now who will record their entire songwriting sessions with co-writers, like mm -hmm. every word that is spoken so that they can trace back all the melodies and everything that's said and everything that's brought in so that if there ever is a lawsuit, there is kind of a something of a paper trail to figure out who came up with what and where the different concepts came from. Yeah. And I don't want to live in that world. That seems like yeah. a really crappy way to create. But our over litigiousness, our our obsession with, you know, just over enforcement of copyright has brought it to this place where creativity gets brought to a halt. And something that we need yeah. to remember about copyright, let me just uh, mention this because it's very important, is copyright law absolutely exists to encourage creativity. And it's in there in the Constitution, the clause that allows Congress to create copyright law. The first line of it says, to promote the progress of science and useful arts. We create copyright law to encourage people to create. If you have a monopoly over the thing that you create through a copyright, you will be incentivized to create. And so generally copyrights are great for that. But make no mistake, too much copyright law and over enforcement of copyright law uh, can be just as devastating to creativity as not enough copyright law. And you really yeah. have to find that balance. And part of it is making sure that we don't overprotect past rights at the expense of future creators creating stuff. Yeah, and I think that in a lot of cases, not all, but in a lot of cases recently, 
with estates suing artists or small artists suing big artists. It's like, is this not clearly a money grab? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it feels like it's not even genuine about, hey, this is the integrity of our art. It's just like, hey, maybe I can get like a quick book out of this. <laughs> not that it's quick or cheap for them to actually do it, but I it feels that way because it, otherwise it just feels so silly, to be honest with you. And maybe that's what bothers me about a lot of these cases is it's rare. I mean, with the, you know, with a lot of these copyright cases, certainly not all of them, but some of them, a lot of them are being brought by the estates of creators. Yeah. So we're not even benefiting the creators at this point. The creator is long gone. And maybe the creator doesn't really care that somebody made something new that kind of sounds like their stuff because creators tend to be chill. You know, know who's not chill? They're talentless heirs. Yeah. Who want the who money? Who's just trying to make a buck. Yeah. Like, come on. That That's what really like irritates me about it. And I don't know. I kind of really believe that saying that like there are no original thoughts. I, I don't know that it's a hundred percent true. I'm sure there is some stuff that has gone uninvented before, but like, I feel like generally speaking, even when it comes to music, like when we said this last time, but we're, we're funneling through a lot of the same stuff. And that doesn't, that's not bad. That's not a bad thing. But when you try to act like, you know, Oh, what I did is so groundbreaking that if something mildly resembles it, like I must reap all the benefits. It just seems so silly to me. Cause again, most in most cases, it is not genuine these days. It's just like it just feels like it's for a money grab or for or for attention to be in the news. You know, like this band, maybe their band's gonna get more press now just because they like did that thing, even though they didn't want they knew they wouldn't win. But like, it's a way to just get seen. Well, it has probably led to a lot of people finding the article sound system SoundCloud account <laughs> such that they've probably gotten more streams on their song in the last six months than yeah. they've had ever. Well, let's stay in the copyright world in a sense by going to perhaps one of the greatest beneficiaries of American mm -hmm. copyright law, and that is the Walt Disney Company. Uh, Billboard magazine, and I don't know how we missed this a couple weeks ago, but late last month, Katie, Billboard magazine put out an article of the 100 best Disney songs of all time. And I'm, I feel like I, you know, I, I don't know this about you with great certainty, but just by judging by your, you know, if, if I'm an elder millennial, you're like a younger millennial. I feel like mm -hmm. you are right in that wheelhouse of just being obsessed with Disney musicals because you had a lot of them growing up. I would imagine that a list like this is going to excite you and give you lots of thoughts and feelings. Uh, I have so many opinions. I am a, I am not like any adult as they call some people, but I am a big fan of Disney. I've been trying to rally up my friends to go see the little new, the new little mermaid for like, since it came out a week ago or whatever it was. Um, so as you, well, can I spoil it? Can I? Yeah, say? no, we're talking about the list. What do you got? Okay. Cause I mean, it gave me a lot of delight to see that part of your world was number one. Cause that is like my go-to Disney karaoke song. I think I perfected it. Like I'm obsessed. Um, but some of the things on this list were a little shocking to me. I, I'm with you on that. Well, so I think that these list people do this, like Rolling yeah, Stone does right. this a lot and it pisses me off. Like, I know that like they put out the list like they, they always have like the, I bet they have the first draft of the list that's perfectly reasonable and generally acceptable 
And then the editor gets to it and is like, we need to put a few things in ridiculous spots to piss people off so that they post it on Twitter about how angry they are. And this list is full of that. Tell me I'm wrong. Yeah, no, you're right. And it's interesting how they did it too. And maybe we can like walk through the top 10 and just give our thoughts. But like it's some of it. I I just wonder like, why is it in this place? Because is it, is it because it's a good song or is it because it just like is famous, like not popular, not good. For instance, Let It Go is a number two. I think that that deserves a number two spot, even though I think Into the Unknown is like a arguably better song from Frozen. But okay. But then number three, It's a Small World. It's like that is the ride and the song that people like make fun of universally. How is that number three? Nobody wants to listen to that song. Is it known? Yes, but it's terrible. Yeah. Um, there, there are a lot of them that are like a lot of things on this list made me kind of like confused and to like upset. We'll we'll talk to Derek Toombs about this because he's, (laughs) you know, he's obviously a film buff. I bet he's got lots of opinions on Disney songs, but you know, the fact that for example, uh, how far I'll go Mm -hmm. is not even the, it's like number 44 or something on the list from Moana. And it's not even the number one Moana song on this list. They put You're Welcome ahead really? of... Yeah, they put You're Welcome ahead of mm. How Far I'll Go on this list. You know what's not on this list at all? Go the Distance from Hercules. Uh, nothing but nothing from Hunchback of Notre Wait, Dame on this list. Make a man out list. of you on this? What's that? Make a man out of you? Um, yeah, it's on there, but like way too low or way too high, way too low. I should say. I'm going to search it. Yeah. Um, and you know, but like 47, that's, oh, see, that's, that's too low. (laughs) That's, I mean, that's, I mean, anything with Donny Osmond, you got to at least put top 25. And you know, it's it's federal law. Why should I worry from Oliver and company who even knows that song? You're going to tell me that's better than I'll make a man out of you. Oh, see now. Now you're letting your young millennial like upset this elder millennial because I'm not here for your Billy Joel slander. I'm also not here for the Phil Collins slander on this list. All right. They got, I mean, two of the like best Disney songs and probably two of Phil Collins' masterpieces uh, on my way from the Brother Bear soundtrack. 94. Oh, go bleep yourself. And you'll be in my heart is only 34. That's a top 10 easy. Like they are like... I mean, no, Phil Collins no, I, touched by God when he wrote both of those songs and like neither of them make the top 40. Come on. What's the other one from Tarzan? It's like trash in the camp. Trash in the, the camp. Trash in the, I love that song. <laughs> but not more than you'll be in my heart. Like trash in the like. There's no way trash in the camp is in the top 100. Come on. That's such a bop. <laughs> but I know I agree. Like. You'll be All right. that is a classic. But I'm going to come after this list's number one and also what it sounds like your number one. I know this is going to attract a lot of ire and this is not the time to like take this position on this song because the new movie came out. I've been told it's excellent. Part of your world? Overrated. There, I said it. No, you're wrong. You're Walking wrong. around with those, what do you call them, feet? You know what feet are, Ariel! She's a mermaid. She I'm, know about I understand, but I'm a person and I know what fish fins are. <laughs> like, uh, just because, like, like, how does she not know what feet are? 
got the word, okay? It's not a big deal. <laughs> I, you know what? Okay, you know what's funny actually is like, one time I had a conversation about with friends about like who the greatest band of the 60s was. And I realized in that conversation, I said the Beatles, by the way, that I really, really going off the board there. Just controversial. I know. That's uh, super like crazy to say. Um, <laughs> but in our discussion, I thought I'm like, how could it be anyone but? And then I realized that like other people judged music in other ways, like the guitar riffs or whatever and i was like for me it's all about like singability and part of your world it has elite singability it's so such a good melody and it's so fun to sing and that's why i think it deserves a number one spot and I, so yeah, does the, rest it, of the camp it's <laughs> i can't believe it. <laughs> you, like somewhere phil collins is just yelling at his computer screen because you have put trash in the camp above his masterpiece that is you'll be in my heart they're both masterpieces like the katie zaccardi list it sounds like it's just based on like your only metric is what songs do i have the most fun drunkenly singing it at private room karaoke with my friends and i'm with you that's and why that's why i'll make a man out of you is on the top of my list yes. because that is a great song to sing drunk with your friends at karaoke 100 <laughs> percent. we should redo this list but in terms of best Disney about karaoke songs because <laughs> yes. i actually think make a man out of you would be number one of best disney karaoke songs and then part of the world because that's like a solo act but so oh yeah, but everybody else, because because everyone with a beer in their hand, be a man. Yeah, that's that's the best. Hundred percent. <laughs> now, before we go to break, Katie, in honor of our of our Disney discussion, I encourage people to check out this list on Billboard.com so you can get as heated as Katie Zagardi and I are. But in honor of this list, I asked the AI overlord to give us some advice, our tip of the week using lyrics of Disney songs. Before I give the tip of the week, we do need to play our imaging. So as aforementioned, in honor of our Disney discussion, I asked our AI overlord, ChatGPT, to give us a our tip of the week but sprinkling in the titles of some of our favorite Disney songs. So here we go. Hello, indie creators out there. Today, we are channeling the magic of Disney to bring you some career advice. So let's be our guest and dive right in. First <laughs> off, remember, you've got a friend in me. And by that, I mean networking is key in any career, but particularly in the indie scene. Don't be an outsider. Instead, make connections, build relationships. It could be through social media, workshops, or local community events. As they say, it's a small world, after all, Katie's favorite. <laughs> so go out there and start making friends. Next up, Go the Distance. And it's still criminal that this song was not on this list. That song yeah. is amazing. I love that TikTok and all like the Gen Zers on TikTok have discovered this song. Yeah, the, yeah, with the transition. Oh, that's yeah. so Oh, good. my God. That's the best. <laughs> anyway, next up, go the distance. Now, this one's crucial. Success may not come overnight. It's the circle of life. But there will be times where you feel like you're stuck in a whole new world, struggling to find your place. Don't mm -hmm. be disheartened. 
keep pushing forward, be persistent, and you'll find that you can go the distance. Now, on to bare necessities. It is important to equip yourself with the right tools, be it a high-quality camera, an updated software, or even a reliable internet connection. Make sure that you have all the bare necessities for your craft. And speaking of tools, don't forget about The Colors of the Wind. That's a great song. That's probably in my top five. It is important to strive for excellence, but don't let the pursuit of perfection paralyze you. Sometimes your work won't be perfect, and that's okay. Let it go. Learn from it and move on to the next. So there you have it. Tips for your indie creator journey straight from the Disney songbook. And always remember, Hakuna Matata. Have no worries and keep creating. Wow, that was beautiful. And it also reminded me of another song that I'm really upset is not on this list. And it's Tangled. I See the Light is not on this list. Neither is Love is an Open Door. Oh, both upsetting. I liked I like both very of those songs. Very upsetting. I'm if, very... If we, go ahead. <laughs> I was saying, if I could, if I could uh, just throw out a co- controversial opinion, I kind of like Love is an Open Door more than Let It Go. I just, yeah, personal favorite. I understand like the meritoriousness yeah. of let it go, but like, you know. Yeah. And maybe let it go is overplayed and that's why, but, but I agree with you. I'm very disappointed, but I'm happy with Chad for giving us a really good and Disney five tip of the week. Right on. We're going to make sure we talk about some of this with Derek Toombs. I see his look in his eye in the green room. He seems like he's got some things to say on all things Disney. <laughs> so we're going to talk to him about that and about his career and lots more. Here on Break the Business, we're back in two. Don't go anywhere. Ryan Corella here. I hope you're enjoying the show, and I hope that you're getting a lot out of it. I do what I do because I care about creators like you. A lot. I've dedicated my career to helping creative professionals, entrepreneurs, and organizations move forward. I do it by hosting this program, and I'm also proud to do it in my legal practice. If you're a creative professional looking for solutions-oriented legal services to help you further your goals, I'd love to help. My firm RKPA does contracts, commercial law, copyright, trademark, and more. Visit rkpalaw.com to learn more. That's rkpalaw.com. Ryan A. Corella, PA, Miami, Florida. Streaming services for Break the Business provided by L.E.K. Entertainment. L.E.K. Entertainment is a full-service entertainment company offering everything from consultations to full-scale events and productions, including audio and video productions, voiceovers, staged theatrical productions, script and music development, and streaming services. For more information, visit lekentertainment.com. L.E.K. Entertainment wants to help you bring your story to life. Thanks for supporting Break the Business. If you have a question or topic that you want us to discuss, email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can follow the host, that's me, on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R, and you can follow the show at The BTB Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook, and on all major podcast platforms. And now, let's get back to the show. So as I'm looking back at this top 100 Disney songs of all time list, I think that it is great that Eye to Eye from a Goofy movie is all the way up at number 20. But I think it's kind of ranked a little low. 
I think that one should like that's that is a have you ever gone back and listened to that song? I know it's caught fire no, on TikTok again. I know that song. How does it go? Uh, uh, bam, banana, nana, nana, for the first time ever, we're seeing it eye to eye. Did you not see the Goofy movie? A, a Goofy movie? I feel like in my youth, I do not remember that song at all. Right. all. That's going to be your homework when we're done with this show. Okay, because I'll go watch it. You have to, because <laughs> cause like, you know, a Goofy movie is, it's an okay Disney movie, right? You wouldn't put it in the Pantheon, but it's just a nice little movie about Goofy <laughs> and his son, Max. And it's it's a nice little romp. Yeah, I do. It's I a road movie. That. Yeah, yeah ro- I've never road seen movie. It. But the end of the movie, because the whole premise of the movie is that Goofy and his son, or Goofy's son is trying, you know, Goofy is trying to take his son Max on a camping trip. We're going to stop everything, and and I'm going to explain to you the plot of Goofy movie. <laughs> okay, perfect. But Goofy's son Max actually secretly wants to go to a concert of his favorite artist, Powerline. And so, spoiler alert, the movie ends with him and his dad at the concert. And then the last, and then the song of the movie where Powerline sings the song is a song called Eye to Eye. And... You know, this is just like a silly little Disney movie. It They didn't need to write the greatest song ever. And then they just did. Like the song they put out in this movie is a certified banger. And <laughs> whoever the vocalist was who they got to sing it, who like sounds like Michael Jackson, really just really? crushes it. And like the the beat on it, like it's so deliciously overproduced. It is amazing. <laughs> you're gonna, you're going to listen to that because it's ranked number 20 on this list for good reason, but it should yeah. be higher. Yeah. Anyway, welcome back to Break the Business, everybody. Ryan Carella <laughs> here with Katie Zaccardi. Uh, we were talking about empowering indie creators and then we got derailed to talk about Disney songs. I don't think we're going to get any complaints on that. Mm-hmm. Let's go ahead and bring out our guest. He is an award-winning filmmaker and the lead instructor in media communications at the LA Film School. Before beginning his film career, our guest served in the U.S. Coast Guard, and today he dedicates his career to helping cultivate the next generation of filmmakers and creative professionals. You can find out more about his work by visiting twitter.com slash newfangledmpc. We are happy to welcome Derek Toombs on to Break the Business. Hi, Derek. Hey, how's it going? Now, I don't know this about you, but I'm just going to infer, because you're a filmmaker, that you're going to have opinions about Disney movies. And because you're going to have opinions about Disney movies, you're going to have some opinions on our billboard list of a hundred best Disney songs. So where do you, where do you come down on this? Like, what is your favorite Disney song? Uh, You know, it's, it's, it's tough because as I look at this list, I'm realizing something that a list like this is a, is a fool's errand because like I'm looking at like Hakuna Matata is number 40 and that feels way too low. And I'm like, well, what did Hukunu Matata like beat? What's like 41? And it's Pink Elephants on Parade. I'm like, okay, well, that's also an awesome song. And so it's like, you could start this list from anywhere and say like, this should be higher. And so it's 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 insane. I mean, it, it really gives you an appreciation for how like just on fire all the artists are who do these songs. Um, as far as like favorites, I mean, that's tough. Like, uh, I think I got to say, I really like... Um, Oh man, uh, I will go sailing no more from Toy Story. Oh, I know that's like a yeah, that's like kind of not not that it's a deep dive, but it's not like many people's favorite. But that's such like a, a an intense. Uh, I song. mean, so you went Randy Newman on us, but yeah. you didn't go. Yeah. You've got a friend in me. Yeah, that's how you know we have ourselves a filmmaker, Katie Zaccardi, because <laughs> he's 
He went right to the deep cut. He went to like the hipster's choice <laughs> of best songs from Toy Story. I mean, that is a crushing scene in Toy it Story really where that yeah. song is playing. And it's made all the more crushing by the terrific song in that scene. So uh, no hate on you there. Although the Billboard people seem to hate you because it was not on the top 100. Yeah, list. in 100. That's crazy. So, so you love the Disney movies, which means you're after our own heart. But you're also after my own heart, I would say, because you are a South Floridian. You were born and raised in South Florida. So you must have one eye on the Heat game score right now. You know what? I I am not a sports fan at all. No! Like, yeah, no. I'll, sometimes I'll wake up and be like, oh, thank God. It's one less thing to worry about because I just I never got into sports. I mean, it is a better way to live your life. I'm a, I've am aged like 10 years in the last three weeks. Right. But, oh, man, I wanted to be able to rap with you like a, a South Floridian. Like, I mean, we, we never get to like see our own kind anymore, especially with you out in right. L.A. and everything. Like, that's... Yeah, it's, um, yeah, I mean, it's to the point that I was out at a grocery store today and I saw a guy wearing like a shirt. And I was like, oh, something something big must be going on because <laughs> I'm here in Orlando. So, it, it, you know, the shirts don't usually make their way all the way up here. So, yeah. Well, we forgive you for going up to Orlando. We know that yeah. South Florida is truly what's in your heart. <laughs> I'm pretty impressed by your story, Derek. Uh, a, a lot to like about this. So you, you started out in the Coast Guard, and then you transitioned into filmmaking. I think you went to film school at age 32, which uh, yeah. seems like a later age to kind of get into this. Talk about that transition from military to filmmaking. That's got to be pretty wild. Sure. So, I mean, I... I I always knew I was interested in film, like as a kid, even like I was making films with like my dad's, uh, you know, like the home video camera and stuff like that. Um, and when I was going to college, uh, when it was time to go to college, I did not get into the film school I wanted to go to. So I was going to community college and I sucked at it because uh, I just wasn't interested. And so like I, you know, I had zero discipline and stuff like that. But, um, you know, I eventually I joined the Coast Guard. I used to I was a Boy Scout. I used to camp out on a Coast Guard base, love being on the water and stuff like that. So it seemed like a no brainer. So I did that for about eight years. I worked on, I was an electronics technician, worked on radios and radars and stuff like that. But still in my own time, I would make films. Um, uh, like uh, I, I made like a whole web series while I was in uh, like school for the Coast Guard. Probably would have gotten like in a lot of trouble if they knew like <laughs> what we were doing. But I brought in a bunch of my friends in on it and stuff like that. It was really a lot of fun. And so um, when I was uh, coming up on like my eighth year and it was time to decide to stay in or get out, um, I was like, I, I really do want to make a run at becoming a filmmaker. And like, I don't want to be this person who kind of like, um, you know, even just doing it on my own time or doing things adjacent to filmmaking. Like I wanted to know that I gave it my all at some point. So I was like, let's go back to school. Let's go for film. And so, um, yeah, that transition was interesting. Um, I, I found out I was a lot better at college because I was just, I, now I wanted to be there. I was there for a major that I was really excited about. And, um, so luckily I have like a little bit of a baby face. So it took a while for people like piece together that I was like the old guy in their class. <laughs> um, and so, uh, I had a great time. Um, I, you know, they, people will tell you that filmmaking is, is like people who, who are, are not filmmaking, but film school, people who are like de detractors for film school will be like, Oh, it's all about connections. Just go out and make connections on your own, which is like partially true. But, um, you know, it does really depend on the group that you're with in film school and like how much you're willing to collaborate with them and things like that. And I had a fantastic class that um, I graduated with and we, you know, a lot of us still keep in touch. We work on each other's stuff when we can uh, even now. And so um, yeah, that transition was interesting. Uh, just kind of the toughest part was just 
uh, sometimes you can feel a little bit like um, uh, like rudderless because you go from the military where there's like a hundred years of strategy behind everything you do. And then all of a sudden you're going to school and you can just do whatever you want. And like, it, that's weird. You know, like it, I went through like immediately, I'm like, well, I'm growing up my hair. I'm going to grow all my beard. I'm going to like, and so it was just kind of like a weird, uh, you know, just this odd rush of just, you know, doing whatever you wanted to do and, and getting to focus on what you wanted to. Um, so that was wild and it took some getting used to just kind of having that freedom again. Did you find that there were there are elements of your military experience that find their way into your filmmaking, whether it's like actually taking stuff from your past and putting it into your films or just the discipline of military service making you more disciplined than the average filmmaker who tends to not be very disciplined? Yeah, there's there's a bit of both there. Um, I mean, the biggest thing that I noticed in film school that being in the military helped me out with is like, I I'm not I don't panic, like no matter what happens, like. I know that like you, you make this decision, then you make the next one, then the next one, the next one. And so, you know, like there were times where, you know, in school we're shooting and we lose our location or like the cops get called on us because it turns out we weren't actually supposed to be shooting like, you know, right next to an air traffic control tower or something like that. <laughs> and so, um, you know, there are times where like people are ready to pack it in because they're like, well, my plan A has failed and like I didn't have a plan B or whatever. And so. Um, I think that that was the biggest thing was just trusting myself to know that I was adaptable because that's, that's something that, uh, they really drilled into in the, in the military. And I also used like elements just from my past, like the, the weirdest examples, like I made a, um, I wrote a script for like a science fiction, uh, Christmas movie. And like, as the, the team is getting ready to get in, like their, their interdimensional spaceship thing, I use like, there's like a bunch of commands that get called out on a ship when you're getting ready to go out to sea. And like, I use like exactly those. And I like, it was just like, I don't know, fun. It brought like a cool, like realism to it. Like these are people who had done this before. And there's like a way this is done, even though it's completely made up um, scenario, there's like this texture of reality to it. So yeah, both, both have, uh, I've been really helped by, you know, my experience in the military that way. And now today, in addition to being a filmmaker, you're also a teacher. You're at the Los Angeles Film School. Uh, I don't know if you've ever run into our uh, a guest on this program. We've had Joshua Lasting, who's also a teacher over there. And, uh, you know, we love the LA Film School people around here. You guys are awesome. Um, as you're teaching filmmaking, are there any, can you tell us some of the overarching lessons that you tend to impart to the students in your filmmaking classes? Sure. So um, I, uh, my scenario is kind of cool because uh, I teach in the media communications program. And so um, it's definitely a program I wish that like I had kind of had access to when I was growing up because um, we kind of, uh, you know, there's just like a lot of spokes on this wheel for media. And so I'm teaching all the video stuff, all the film stuff, editing, all that kind of stuff. But um, they're also learning journalism. They're learning, um, you know, graphic design and things like that. And so uh, there's an interesting element of like, uh, it's one of my favorite things because I, I actually, when I first got out of the Coast Guard, I got at one of those like paint and sip studios where you like paint like a sunset and drink wine and stuff like that. And there's this element where you're teaching something to somebody who otherwise may never have tried it because it looks too hard. And because I'm like the film teacher in like not a, a film like decade degree, I get that experience with them and that's really cool. Like, and so, um, kind of just this element of like, uh, you know, there's, they're coming to me with really cool things that they see on YouTube or TikTok or whatever. And they're kind of like, Oh, is that like, is that something I can do? Like, or can I try to do that? And like being able to show them that like the, the, you know, the, um, 
level for entry for for making videos and films and stuff like that is not as high as you think it is. And that's probably like my favorite part about teaching uh, my students is just kind of showing that like you could do a lot cooler stuff than you realize. Well, let's talk about that barrier to entry point that you just brought up there, because I think that there are a lot of opportunities for independent creators like the ones who check out this program who are not what you'd call filmmakers. Maybe they are musicians. Maybe they are just actors or comedians or podcasters who have an opportunity to do some film or film adjacent thing to add that to the kind of content they put together to augment what they're doing already. But they probably feel some sense of paralysis about how do I even begin something like this? You know, it seems so overwhelming, this undertaking of getting into filmmaking. What advice would you give those people on how to get started? Um, I mean, get started on probably just like pick one kind of like formal element that you want to get good at because it can be overwhelming. It's like, you know, oh, my video doesn't look good and it doesn't sound good and it's blurry or whatever. So like. Um, you know, if, if all of that's never stopped just around here from <laughs> right. So, you know, if um if one of those seems like the scariest part, tack one of those first is like figure out, you know, how do I make my footage look good? How do I like myself to where, you know, I don't have black circles under my eyes and things like that? Then just take the next one and the next one. Like, um, I think that uh for a lot of people, young people especially, uh, we've kind of fallen victim to like hustle culture where it seems like as soon as you learn how to do something, you need to be able to do it to the point where like you're a professional and you should be making money doing it. Like, uh, you know, we, we don't really let people have too much of a learning curve anymore. And I think that, uh, that's a big thing that you just need to allow yourself to do is like, you know, learn one piece at a time, get pretty good at the video, then work on the sound. Then and definitely don't start buying gear that you think is going to make your video perfect because it's not the gear, you know, the best cameras, the one you have the best audio recorders, whatever you have access to just start anywhere. That's, that's my big advice to start anywhere, learn a piece at a time. Katie, I would imagine that that's similar kind of advice that you would impart to folks in your consulting practice. It's certainly something I impart where I'll tell people whenever they want to do a new project, the best way to start is just to start. Don't feel like you have to have every single thing figured out because you're going to figure it out along the way. And even if you try to make everything per per perfect before you start step one, you're not going to have everything perfect because there's things you haven't even thought of yet that you're only going to be able to think of once you've started. And so, I mean, have you come across uh, things like that, Katie, and the folks that you've spoken with, like artists who are just so afraid to begin because they need to make everything perfect that they just never start? Yeah. And not to say that like filmmaking is the same as TikToking, but since you kind of brought it up, Derek, that you work with a lot of people who are newer and sometimes they'll just see stuff on TikTok or YouTube and say, can I do this? I work with a lot of musicians who are trying to grow their social media following. And funny enough, like everything is video now, everything. And so the barrier to entry, while it is pretty low, it seems high for people who have never done this before and don't feel comfortable on camera or don't even really know how to like use their phone to do it. And I feel like a lot of the coding that I do, yes, it has to do with like, here's how you can actually set this up. Here's some small tips to get started. But a lot of it is like mindset coaching up people over the hump of you can do this. You can operate your, can create good videos. You can learn how to edit. You can feel confident showing up on camera, but I feel like a lot of people think either I am creating these like really crazy 
insane quality of everything or I'm doing nothing and I suck. And there is a middle ground in there that I think out many musicians can find the balance, but you cannot get there until you start. And I, I yeah, would imagine sure. if we went back to like some of your earliest stuff, Derek, uh, it's probably stuff that maybe you want to hide away, but it's the stuff that got you to where you are today. Like all of your favorite YouTubers go back and find, go back and watch Mr. Beast's first YouTube video <laughs> or Hank, you know, everybody loves Hank green. I'm sure Hank green's <laughs> first green. <laughs> parade into YouTube, you know, looks not so great compared to the stuff he does now, but you get to where you are from the stuff that you did at the beginning. Uh, I think episode one of this podcast is a great example. Please don't go back and listen to episode <laughs> one of this podcast. I am begging you. But that's the only you know, the only way to get to where you want to go is you have to start and be okay with it not being perfect and making mistakes and getting better along the way. Um, it's it's often the best teacher. And really, as much as we joke, like the first thing you put out isn't as bad as you think it is. And people are going to appreciate that you've given them stuff in a new format. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, you know, turning things back to um, kind of current events right now, before we had you on and even before we even had the show on, uh, Katie and I were talking about uh, the, the SAG after strike that might be happening and the WGA strike that is happening right now and how a big part of these strikes has been the rise of AI and how AI is going to factor into movies and television. Is AI going to be writing our scripts? Is AI going to be acting in our movies? Uh, do you have any thoughts on kind of where we are with this right now and, and what your expectations are for what movies and TV are going to look like and what your work's going to look like a few years from now? Sure. I mean, um, AI is like, yeah, that's like the hot topic for like everybody, especially in academia. We like freaked out when we realized that like students could, you know, basically get like a paper on demand, you know, in five seconds. Um, so there's been a lot of talk about that. But as far as um, using it for, you know, creating content and things like that, um, I heard a really cool term today. And that was that was using AI as like an invisible employee. And I think that that's where we are are hopefully and should be headed where it's like, you've got kind of this like silent partner in AI and like, you should not be letting it steer you and just like accepting whatever it gives you, but you should, you know, there's, there's going to become, people will be, you know, gain access to for asking the right questions and, and helping it to guide what they're trying to do um, versus just hopping over and just seeing what it spits out. And so um, that's where I hope it goes. I mean, I, I suspect that, we'll get to a point where it'll almost be like spell check where like at first people were like, Oh, don't use spell check. You can't trust that to where now you're like, you, you don't get shamed. It's like, why didn't you send this email through spell check? Like we'll get to that point where it's like, did you run this by an AI? Like before you, you know, like you came up with this. And so I hope that that's where we get, where it just becomes, um, you know, kind of a tool because it really, I mean, I I've tried, um, experimenting with it as far as like storytelling and creating scripts and things like that and i mean it's gonna get better but like the first thing i tried was like you know i was writing like a, a detective like mystery story and i'm like hey help me out with this and it's suggested something like you know in act two the detective should find clues and i'm like oh thanks i like i never would have arrived at, <laughs> at that so like you know if if i was just using that as a crutch that that's where i'd be you know so um i think that you know, it, it can be really helpful where it's like, if I'm the one telling it, Hey, it needs to find clues in act two, help me out. What are some, you know, what are some sweet clues 
but I don't think, uh, you know, we, you don't, you don't want it to be a load bearing, uh, you know, tool. <laughs> Basically like you're saying that AI is like an unhelpful spouse. Yeah. No, that, the, that isn't like a writer. And it's just like, uh, what about if a detective found a clue? Right. No, exactly. That's what, that's exactly what I said. I was like, I felt like I had like a disinterested teenager as like a writing partner. Like, <laughs> you know, like, it's like, sure, whatever. Let him find a clue. Maybe uh, we'll shoot a gun at some point. I don't know. Like, <laughs> you know, thanks. Maybe Chad at the Chad end, he catches the guy, whatever. <laughs> right. Right. Um, <laughs> see, so what you're saying is you see the best version of AI is being, as you said, invisible, right? It's there, it's having an impact, but it's not prominent. It's not, certainly you wouldn't endorse, say, a podcast dedicating a whole segment to AI and naming the segment after AI and giving AI like five whole minutes of the show, right? That would be ridiculous <laughs> if a podcast were to do that. Uh, maybe they'll get a pass since it's like the new thing. I don't know. I don't that's want to... right. Yeah, that's, a, <laughs> that's, that's the new thing. <laughs> Um, all right. So you're a Star Wars person as well. So we talked yeah, about yeah. Disney and I guess we're still talking about Disney because Disney owns <laughs> right. everything up to and including yeah. Star Wars. <laughs> and I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you a little bit about Star Wars, because in your own neck of the woods in Orlando, where you are now, as opposed to the much superior South Florida, where you came from, <laughs> you all got some pretty cool Star Wars stuff going in there because you have the, the whole Star Wars galaxies landing thing at mm -hmm. Uh, was it MGM Studio? I don't call it MGM. Hollywood yeah, yeah. Studios. God, yeah. I'm dating myself with that reference. <laughs> um, but I know that they had that really cool Star Wars hotel that mm -hmm. was there where like you could just like live in Star Wars for two days and it cost a billion dollars. <laughs> but right. like I'm jealous because I'm a Star Trek fan. And if you could if yeah. you offered me an experience where I could LARP as a Starfleet person for a weekend, mm -hmm. like I would give you a blank check for that. <laughs> but are are you sad that that hotel is gone now? Did you get a chance as a Star Wars fan to experience it before it was gone? No, no. So I, I didn't get to go. I mean, you talked about the price. I'm a teacher. So, so no, I didn't get to go to the, but I mean, it sounded really cool. I think, um, I think, you know, it, it, we kind of laugh because it lasted less than 18 months. And so it's kind of crazy that it's like already going, but it's cool that they experimented with something like that. Um, I think it was always kind of a weird sell. Like, you know, you're, it, it's, you, you have to go for two whole days. And so that's two days out of your vacation taken by this star Wars experience. And it's got no windows and you just kind of like you it like on the one hand, it is awesome that you get to do the Star Wars experience. But like the flip side is that you're like sealed into this Star Wars experience. And so <laughs> I, such a good point. So I think that um, that was like a tough. So I, I would kill to have like been able to see it. Like I, I wish that they just like, hey, we're closed and just like leave the doors open and let people just let check you walk it out around for a bit. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it does sound really cool. I mean, I've been, to, you know, the Galaxy's Edge area. Uh, you know, in itself is really cool. I mean, it's very immersive. Um, and so I can only imagine what it's like in there. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a shame it's going away. Um, it does. I will say personally, like I get a little bit creeped out interacting with people who like, I know are, I don't know how I put it. Like, um, like the, like if I went to a haunted house, the thing that freaks me out about houses, like when somebody's trying to scare me, I'm like, yeah, I know you're like a theater student at like the college like it weirds me out because like i know that's a real person and you're pretending to be someone else like at me and that weirds me out so i can't imagine like, going and you're like trying to go to the bar or something at a star wars place and the guy's like you know 
interacting with you as if like, you're in space. I'm like, hey, man, I'm just, just trying to hang out. Like, you don't have to do the thing. To me. <laughs> you don't that have is- to be on right now, dude. <laughs> right, right. But that is <laughs> the funniest thing I've ever heard a filmmaker. I know. I just hate when people are like acting. Yeah. Well, I will so say, weird. so I. I also no, have just, like, you don't have to be on right now, dude. I know you're just a sophomore at UCF. Right. Yeah. No, I, so I, I didn't mention this, but, um, I, I also used to do stand up, And so like, um, there were times where like, you can tell when somebody's doing like a bit to you, like, like if you're just hanging out. And so like, I think that that's like where that comes from is like, Hey, we're just hanging out. Like, you know, don't, don't talk in bits that that's weird. And so I think that that's just kind of where that comes from. It's like, yeah, because let, like let maybe me, you're uh, uncomfortable because like am i supposed to be acting too because right. like nobody's <laughs> paying me to play a character yeah. right now no, exactly and i'm already in fact i'm paying six thousand dollars <laughs> to live in a windowless hotel room and you want me to like be part of your story me in an right. improv no. group like no yeah. one wants to be part of an improv group <laughs> right right all i'm buying popcorn or something like yeah. <laughs> just let me drink my 38 dollar blue drink please <laughs> right Oh, okay. You can find out more about his, our, our guest work by visiting twitter.com slash newfangledmpc. Uh, can you tell folks a little bit about your film company since uh, you 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 deal with our silliness for this long? We should probably give you an opportunity to tell us, tell people about your film projects. Sure. So um, I've got like I'm kind of on the tail end of a festival run for my latest two uh, shorts. Um, that's been really cool. It's the first time I really like mostly I, I just put stuff on like YouTube or just kind of made it just for like fun. Um, this is the first time really going like traveling with it and going to festivals and things like that and it's one and a half awards and that's been like awesome Woo. like uh yeah like <laughs> thanks uh you know seeing it in a theater like with people is is unreal so um and i'm getting ready i'm ramping up for production on my first feature lane film um which is like a huge undertaking but uh like i'm applying for grants and i've got some cool um uh collaborators that have already kind of like pledged uh help and things like that so um yeah, I, I'm mostly I'm trying to kind of do like a, I don't know, like George Lucas kind of deal where it's like trying to just like make the material I'd want to see kind of on my own. Like I'm not necessarily trying to like, um, you know, move to L.A. with my pockets out and hope to find you know, an opportunity. What I'd like to do is like make my own opportunity to where um, I have to move to L.A. because I'm taking meetings or things like that. So that's kind of the goal with my studio is to make, you know, the kind of material that I'd want to see. And, you know, hopefully make it good enough that other people want to see and just move on from there. And people can find your films on YouTube like they just search uh, Newfangled MPC. Yeah, yeah. So I've got uh, my my YouTube right now has got um, a handful of like video essays. I've done like um, like a video essay on like how uh, Kevin Feige got started with Marvel and like, about the insane lead up to when Star Wars Episode One was coming out, like the world lost its mind. Um, so I've got a handful of my shorts there too. The two that are, uh, wrapping up their festival run, they're not on there just yet, but, um, they're going to like their last two festivals and then they'll be up. Marvelous. Well, good yeah. on you. Congratulations. Thanks. Uh, stick around, like st- stay like in our universe going forward, just, you know, so we can keep track of your projects and, and, you know, yeah, definitely. hype, hype you up whenever we can. Before we let you go, Derek, we got one last question for you. Sure. Do you have any last tips for the indie creators out there to help them move their careers forward? Last tips. I mean, the I, that biggest one that I mentioned before is just like that that one to start anywhere is like the I think it's the biggest one because it's like I, I think what we talked about is where you know 
your first project is going to kind of stink and you're going to learn stuff as you go. I think what the coolest part about that is you'll realize that as you go, the things you're learning and that you want to tweak become smaller and smaller and they become more like um, sort of like taste-based and not like, oh, geez, I guess I should use lights, use lights in my video. And then like, you know, a year down the road, you're like, oh, what would be really cool is if I had like warm light on this side and cool light on that side. That's like a thing I'm going to try next time. And so, you know, you're going to go from this like free fall to where you're making these really cool, like, um, you know, just you, you're going to become like super talented and you're going to be making those decisions that set your, uh, you know, any kind of content you're going to make apart, whether that's writing or filmmaking or, or music. But you'll just notice that like, or, and you'll see it in, um, I think one of the biggest problems starting out is that when you want to make content, a lot of times it's because you have good taste in content. You, you, you like good music, you like good movies, you like good books. And when you start out, there's just such a huge difference between the junk you're putting out and the stuff that you like. And that become, can become really discouraging. But, um, you know, as you grow as a creator, you'll, you'll find that like, you're looking at the material that you really like and you're picking up these really small things that they're doing. And you're like, well, I'm doing that next. And it's not just like, how do I get as good as them? And you're like, oh, what can I borrow from them? Like they become like almost a peer, you know, even if you're not at their full like, their level, but, um, you know, there's, you, you kind of enter the conversation in a really cool way. So just, um, yeah, just kind of brace for that and look, look forward to that. Like, you know, you're going to find that, uh, the, the things you learn are going to become more and more fun and not, you know, like I said, you're, you're going to stop free falling and you're going to start making a lot of really cool decisions and content that you make. Our guest has been filmmaker and LA film school instructor, Derek Toombs. Folks check out newfangled MPC, find out about all of his terrific projects. Derek, it's been a real treat. Thank you so much for being on the show this week. Yeah. Thanks for having me. That was a blast. Our thanks to Derek Toombs, uh, to Katie Zaccardi, producer Lauren, and to all of you viewers and listeners for checking out Break the Business. It's been a treat. We'll see you next week. Music.